it is time to wrap up this trilogy with an award season. Thank you very much for joining us on part three of the FES 2010s episode. My name is Jason. Uh, we are joined by Rudy Edsel, the former host of FES, who took my chair while I was um, gone at the start of the year. Um, Rudy, are you still um, a devout defender of Kenny Athew since you uh, since you left FES? <laughs> um, I knew this question was coming. <laughs> Look, I... <laughs> I... You know, you've you've banned the what you banned the term uh, okay for a backup striker. Yes. So I'm gonna have to uh, look. I still, yeah. Look, I'll, I'll put it this way: I don't think Kenny Athey will be a Melbourne Victory player next season. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. I think he's, uh, his yeah. days are his days are definitely numbered. Um, <laughs> what's changed about you in the last decade since the 2010 Grand Final? What's uh, what's some defining moments that changed you, or how have you changed since that time? In my life. Yeah, in general, well, give me a philosophical kind of uh, view of it. Well, I was a rat fag uh, pub worker back in the the end of two thousand and nine, and now I'm a professional uh, media practitioner, Jace. So uh, you know, <laughs> all of my disgraces are now private. <laughs> by that, by that you mean you just make memes to put on the Triple M website? Is that right? Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, man. okay. Uh, so. Yeah, let's not let's not get too technical here. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got you on board. Um, we thought we had some fun with um, some end of decade awards. We've got, I think we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine categories that we'll go through. Now um, we've been talking about this for a week, but we haven't really done too much uh, uh, collaboration on our answers. We'll just go go with it on the fly and see what comes to us. Um, so we've got a few different categories that we'll go through um let's start off with the goal of the decade i think that um i think that we can probably agree on this one that it's um terry antonis um to win the semi-final against sydney fc in 2018 would you agree with that yeah i would agree with that i think brandon o'neill is still just trailing away there on the sfs pitch it's been knocked down around him and he's still looking for terry I think there's just so much that goes with this goal, isn't there? There's the the stakes, um, you know. Obviously, a grand final place against Sydney FC, who had um, who'd won the the premiers plate. I think finished 23 points ahead of Melbourne Victory in the regular season. So we went into that game as rank underdogs. Um, so the stakes, the commentary by Simon Hill. Um, in the end, it's going to be, end up being you know legendary commentary commentary up there with things like you know Jezalenko, you beauty and, and stuff like that. I think that that's going to live on live on in a league folklore for forever. And just the setting as well, the game situation. Terry Antonis uh, scores an own goal in the dying stages of regular time to force it to extra time, and he goes from. Uh, zero to hero in the space of about half an hour, coming through as a victory player to start off, sign as a victory player at the start of that year or start of yeah start of the calendar year, uh, yep, midway January. through the midway through the season. So, just what a he really turned the fortunes around a little bit for Melbourne Victory. Just the signing, how integral he was, and then the the situation of the game just sets this all up and culminates and, and festers as just this epic victory moment i think it goes down and we talked about it on the podcast at the time the the number one victory goal of all time i think there's a few other ones that, that come up to that point but um i think i think terry antonis probably snatches that title away as the the number one goal not just of the decade but of the history of melbourne victory yep i can't disagree with with you on that um it, it's it's the most iconic goal that I can think of. It just epitomised everything that was good about Kevin Musket's victory. It was that um, that ability to turn uh, like a negative into a positive and to, to uh, like, you know, like that never say die attitude. Like Terry Antonis would have been so flat after that mm-hmm. own goal. We were seconds away from winning. And then, you know, when it went to 2-2 with that own goal, it was like, Oh, they've done this all season where they pulled they pulled this out of the fire. Yeah. We've stuffed it up, and it's, it has to be poor old Terry. And then he just turns around, and like it was just sheer force of will. Like he got the ball um, from Kenny Athew, by the way. But then he just ran, and he just like he just beat a couple of blokes. And like I said, Brandon O'Neill like chasing forlornly as he was, 
and it was just, but it was just like no one was stopping him it was you know he was like you can see why Kev, Kevin Musket loved him so much because he had that Kevin Musket like pure fire in his belly right there and he just just went through everyone and just put it in and the the pose like the with the arms out into the victory fans the yep. tears it was just oh and that it was Sydney and that we were absolutely stuffed and it was they were 23 points ahead of us you know and it was Graham Arnold Sydney it was just the best absolute best moment I've ever had following sport I reckon like it, you know like I've got a lot of sporting teams I love but I don't think I've ever had a moment of just pure like joy and like I've you know I've never just fallen into emotion the way I have there except maybe um the Mark Schwartz penalty save in 2005 I reckon that's about as close as it's gotten anything anywhere I I can't like I, I must I feel like I speak for every victory fan that exists when I say it was one of the best moments of my life <laughs> And like, um, it just was. <laughs> and it made the mainstream Australian media stand up and take notice as well. I remember that Terry Antonis probably wasn't prepared. I, I, he's not the best media performer, and that really showed in the days afterwards because every every media outlet in the country wanted to speak to him. I remember he appeared on the on Channel 10's The Project um, talking about the goal. It really just um, – it, it, it overshadowed the, the grand final in a way. People will remember that moment over the grand final – um, when when it's all said and done in, in, in future years. I think that, um, yeah, it, it was just one of those moments that, that it's going to forever live on um, in Ruck Legend as, uh, as one of the best moments of all time. So a worthy uh, winner and uh, unanimous goal of the decade winner. Um, game of the decade. Do you have a game of the decade nominee or a winner that you want to give the award to? Um, well, I mean, aside obviously from that semifinal we just spoke about, um, there's a couple for me that stand out. The 2014-15 grand final at Amy Park is yep. a massive one because having like as I don't want to touch on it too much because I had Matt Winley spoke about it um, the other day. No one will you'll never have another grand final at Amy Park like that, and the, the atmosphere is brilliant. I just remember um, that one of the Sydney um, one of the Sydney fullbacks was visibly taken out of the game by the fans on the wing, yeah. like on the eastern side, and that was like super, Milos Dimitrovic it was, and he was like visibly scared by the, <laughs> the victory fans near him on the, on the wing, like not even the goals, um, which was amazing. Um, yeah, so that, that's up there. But for me, I think the one I hold most fondest in my memory, and there's another one that Winley touched on, was that first game of the 2014-15 season yeah. where we, we smacked the Wanderers 4-1 at, at um, what's now called, uh, whatever it's called, Marvel Stadium. Marvel. Um, yeah, and uh, Del Pierre scored, and everyone was saying, you know, we've got a big fucking Frenchman. <laughs> and it was just, <laughs> I remember thinking at that point, um, probably at the same point, Winley turned to Davudovic and said, well, they're going to win the grand final. I was like, we're not going to, like, this is going to be the best, the most fun season of sport yeah. ever. Because you used to turn up every week that season and just go, we're going we're gonna to have these blokes. <laughs> you know, yeah. it didn't really matter who it was. Like, I just had that feeling of like, yeah. oh, this is going to be the best night. We're going to drink piss and we're going to sing and afterwards we'll drink more piss. And we're going to be winners. We're just going to take yeah. three points. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a good point you, you touch on there, and Matt Whitley spoke about it as well. There is a certain point in every season. It's happened in each of the, the three dominating seasons in, in 2007, 09, and in 2015. There's a certain point where maybe, you know, six weeks into the season or very early into the season, you come away from a match and you're like, we're going to win the title. You just know it's going to happen. And then you get that feeling. And then and then the, 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 the rest of the season just gets a lot more fun from there. I think it's happened to me, that realization um, each of those three years, I didn't get that feeling at all in 2018. I don't think anyone did, but um, it's great to just get that feeling. I remember as well going back um, to the previous decade, Archie Thompson um, in the first title season at a press conference, he called it out in like in like round five or round six. He's like, we're going to win the title. And that's one of the best, um, yeah. one of the best feelings. Um, over yeah. the course of the decade, I, I agree with you on that one. I'm, I'm going to say though, um, it's the, the 2015 grand final. Yeah, totally for that one um, in my game of the decade. Hell yeah. Um, best signing of the decade. Who do you think the best signing of the decade has been for Melbourne Victory? Oh, this is an interesting one, man. I've been, um, this is the one that's actually probably given me the, the, the most um, like pause to think. And I kind of think it might be Carl Valeri, to be honest. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, like it's there's been so many great attackers. Like you know, I'm sure you've got you've got uh, your own one that you want to touch on. But yeah. like obviously we signed Best this decade. Yeah, and we signed you know like Leroy George who had an incredible season, and we had you know FBK and Georgeski and whoever. But um, I, I just think that uh, Carl Valeri just set the culture and the tone for what like he just understood what Melbourne Victory was and who we are, and he just absolutely uh, executed being Melbourne victory on the pitch every single minute that he was on there, you know, like, um, I mean, it fell apart a bit in his last season. He obviously missed the season with his, um, like the brain formation stuff, Yeah, but he was so underrated at all times. And, you know, I was guilty of calling for him to, to go yeah. when he was still fine because I didn't understand. Yeah. What he, um, what he offered, but he is just like, he is an exceptional person and he's like, to, to me, it's like he feels like the natural, um, the natural next step from Kevin Musket on. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, so I agree I with that. Cal- he said that he said the culture, and and he, I spoke about it in, in yesterday's pod that um, just that the family feel people were talking about it in interviews, and you could sense it in just any kind of media the club did or anything like photos and things like that, Instagram stories that the, the club was like a family and, and you don't really realize how much uh, you miss Carl Valeri until he's gone. He, he may, you know, getting, getting yep. older naturally, your, your output's going to diminish. Um, but the, the fact, you know, I guess, emotional or, yeah. um, you know, leadership is a quality that um, cannot be measured sometimes, um, especially on a pitch in a, in a, in a football team. Um, my answer is actually going to be Bessart Barisha as the signing of the decade. And the reason for that is because this was a power move by the number one club in the country. We went out and got the best striker in the A-League. We go, we go to him and offer him a marquee contract, give him more money than Brisbane, bring him down to Melbourne where he has a pretty decent season, 15 goals, um, which was, um, I think, one of his best outputs. Um, I think maybe third or fourth best output um, in his career in the A-League. And he, he scores the first goal of the grand final. This, to me, is just Anthony DiPietro going out there, getting the best player in the league and him delivering on the biggest stage. That was probably yeah. the um, the best example of Melbourne Victory actually going out and getting a marquee player and it working. There's so many stories you can um, go through throughout the decade of Melbourne Victory betting big and failing, but this was the one where it just paid dividends straight away. DiPietro yeah. got his man and it paid dividends straight away. So. Straight flexing on the comp at that point. Power just, move, just, yeah. just beating our chests like Godzilla or King Kong and just going, yeah, we're Melbourne Victory. Do what you want. Come at us. Come at us. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. So, so, so yeah. best up, Brisha, for me um, in just an absolute power move by um, Kevin Musket and Anthony DiPietro. Yeah. Um, I think... Yeah, go ahead. I think the shrewdest signing of in our history, though, is Terry Antonis. Yeah. That literally won us the 2018 grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Just yeah. a good piece of business. You won't get too much uh, decent play or too many decent players coming through in the January transfer window. Um, but yeah, we we latched on a Terry Antonis at a, at a great opportunity. Um, and I think yeah, his deal was like um, what back ended, so it enables you to do that. And hopefully, that's a uh, maybe an example that can be set in time for this January transfer window. Um, I'm going to ask you as well, who was the worst signing i want to name this the the christian dobris award just because it's topical it might not be it might not be dobris um that who's your um, worst signing over the course of the decade can can we say marco curtis <laughs> the jury's still out the jury's still out surely i don't know um, yeah no I'm, I'm taking the piss a bit it's um two names to get for me man um one is Ollie Bazanich, who came yeah. with so much pedigree, mm-hmm. but the other it has to be Ricardinho. Yeah, well. Ricardinho is my answer, Poor but Ricardinho. you, yeah, you bring up a good point yeah. about Oliver Bazanich because he was on Marquee yeah, Cash. Yeah, 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 he was on Marquee Cash, and it was a, a point at which, as well, um, that victory were it felt like victory were never going to do anything wrong. Yeah, in the in the league, and then yeah, Ricardinho came and just stunk so bad. And yeah, it's one of those another ones, where, another one where uh, the the highlight reel is pretty decent um, on YouTube, 
and you get fooled yeah. by that and you're like you know when when does this when do you get good and he had one <laughs> uh one was it one goal he scored and that was the the one where he did the double the well, double it's only nutmeg. one i remember <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the double nutmeg <laughs> so that, that probably goes down as the uh the most stupid goal of the decade as well if we had to give an award for that but um yeah, i'm gonna give it a tie because i'm i'm with you i was gonna say ricardinho to start off with but then oliver bizanich you make a good call because um <laughs> We we were lucky to get out of that. The fact that someone came to us and wanted to to take him, he went to Japan and, and paid us a transfer fee. It was a bit like it was, it was actually the greatest swindle of the decade as well. Actually, offloading Oliver Bazanich's contract because it opened up the doors um, to to maneuver and eventually get that um, get that championship in 2018. So um, yeah, it, it worked out. It ended up being a good piece of business despite it being one of the worst signings. Um, Rudy, who's the best? Who had the best individual season? throughout the decade i don't want to we're doing this kind of off the cuff i don't want you to give me too many stats or anything like that i want you to kind of just give me a feel who had the best individual season best individual season there's been another high one for me i feel like del pierre's first season with us was as good as a defender could possibly be in his yeah. comp. um but for me the best individual season i've seen had to be leroy george mm. he just swaggered into this competition took the absolute piss did whatever he wanted Barely, what did he play? 75 minutes a week and then he was, was gassed and went and got a massage and then and then slagged us off in the press. Yeah. Like, fair play, Leroy. Like, True. He was a cut above the league. He uh, he tore apart the, the league and, and won the victory medal. Um, I agree with him. I was, I was actually deciding, I was tossing up between between he and Fahid Ben Calfalo in his first year as well. A very similar type thing. Um, robbed, robbed of the Johnny Warren. Yeah. SBK. Yeah. Robbed. So he was really good. The thing, and it's, it's interesting to compare Leroy George with, um, FBK because, um, Leroy George left. They couldn't get the a deal done. Um, Leroy George wanted more money. FBK wanted more money after that first year. Um, victory, give it to him. And then, the second year blues, everyone figures out um, FBK's game, but he's just going to run down the ring and then cut in um, centrally. And that was figured out pretty much, you know, from game one of the of his second year there. And I think that set the precedent then that Melbourne victory didn't want to pay Leroy George because they were scared of the same thing happening as FBK. Yeah. So that set the precedent. And I think that Melbourne victory um, were a little bit more wise um, the next time they had that opportunity to, um, to reward a, a flash in the pants start although i think leroy george would have been would have been pretty good the next year as well so i'm glad that leroy george got that championship but um yeah leroy george ola toivinen Cascade honda wouldn't be, wouldn't be too bad of a, of a team uh last year uh most bizarre moment of the decade there's a few moments you could think of what what would you award the most bizarre moment well, you could almost go with that Riccardinho goal. That was pretty bloody bizarre. Um, I think it's hard to go past um, the VAR not working on the yeah. goal that won us the, the grand final. That has to be like, that's the kind of thing that could only happen in the A-League. Like, we were this bloody um, proving ground for this new technology. It didn't really, like, you know, it's proven to be exactly as shit as we thought it would be when they rolled it out everywhere else but it could only be in Australia that it actually was the difference in a team winning the grand final and it had to be us and it had to be a way to poor old Newcastle. Like, you know, they, they busted their absolute guts to yeah. get where they were. And then we're just swaggering and go, actually, lads, we'll have this one. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> just the culmination of three, just three bizarre weeks, really. Yeah, because Because yeah. we, were, we weren't going to really, um, I think we were, I can't remember the, the exact moment. Were we down against Adelaide in, in week one? Or I think we were down, weren't we? We, we, we well, I think we were. We certainly won one and best scored yeah, that. That's right. um, that that goal. Yeah. yeah. And then Terry Antonis, you know, scores an own goal and then scores a winner, and then the VAR is broken. Like three, um, three pretty weird weeks um, of finals yeah. football that culminate in a in a title. You've, For me, you've got to shout out. You've got to yeah. shout out Donicky's. Uh, bloody bleached blonde hair true. And wash up from that as well. Yeah, that was very bizarre stuff. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, that's um that that uh, adds to the list as well. Um, for me, I, I think there's a there's a few there's a couple of moments. Um, one that I'm kind of vague on because it happened so long ago and I haven't looked at it since since it happened is that. Do you remember when Melbourne Victory offered shares to its members? Oh man, like vaguely. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think like they canvassed uh, members to buy shares in Melbourne Victory and then it um, people got really excited about it. People were um, you know, going to load up on buying shares in Melbourne Victory. They wanted a piece sure. of the club. Um, or maybe yeah, maybe a, a stake in the club to um to own it, and then they just pull. I think the the investors or the owners decide not to go ahead with it, and it just created so many uh, so many angry fans. It was a bit of a weird moment. Um, it was at the very start of the decade, I think. Um, yeah, two thousand twelve, thirteen. It was in twenty fourteen. Of yeah, a powerful businessman who control the powerful businessmen who control Melbourne Victory have blocked the sale of the stake <laughs> in the team to the public in a bid to prevent supporters from interfering and in running the Ailey's largest club. <laughs> how do you how do you think that Why would go? How do you think that would have gone idea. if if the fans ended up uh, owning the club? I, I don't know. Uh, we'd probably sack our coach after every loss, right? Oh, mate. Well, you know, you've seen the chat on the Victory <laughs> Forum and on the Facebook and stuff. Imagine if those people had a, if those people were shareholders. <laughs> but it was interesting because that was going to happen, and people were really excited by it. And then it um, it just disappeared and and never to be heard of again. So that was a weird one, moment. One other bizarre thing. Yeah. One other bizarre thing before we move on. As well, the um, the the stuff with the the gambling sponsor cash bet. That was my ACL next. That was my next one. I was, I was going to list that too. Yeah. Cash bet. Yeah. Sorry, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, cash bet. <laughs> that was that was bizarre as well because they, the club must have known that and they denied it. This like either they either they knew it and they were trying to cover it up or they were um, dumb because that was yep. so obvious. And then there's. They're like, this isn't a gambling company. And then images pop up on social media of the woman who was at the promotional announcement <laughs> in a gambling ad with the same company. Well, um, why do they think they could pull that on Soccer Twitter? I don't know. How have they not learned by now? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's another one. And, and people, like, you talk about the, the club and just the um, – a lot of people at the moment are unhappy with the administration. They're saying they're getting complacent. They're losing their way. Um, Melbourne Victory used to be this dominant force and they're becoming a bit like a senile old man um, who was you know, once a, a dominant, powerful man, um, a successful man who's just starting to get a bit senile and starting to forget things like does he have underpants on? And that's kind of like what's happening right now with, with De Pietro. Um, so yeah, Melbourne Victory's kind of just... Um, and yeah, going through this stage where they're kind of like... Um, yeah, just a, a bit complacent and uh, it's it's making for interesting kind of times and one of the more bizarre moments of the decade. Uh, the other one I've got for you here, I've got a couple ones. Um, throughout the decade, what has aged the best? So when you look back on this and you think, um, you know, this is still pretty good, what's aged the best? I'll give you an example. So for me, the the 2014-2015 squad have aged the best. And the reason I say that is because you, you think back to it, it's just like, how good was this? You don't realize it at the time that this was like the best squad we've ever assembled. And we talked about this on, on part one, but the more you think back on it, the more um, teams we have that, you know, don't live up to expectations or anything like that. And, and you look back on that team, you're like, wow, it just gets, it seems like it gets better with age, that, that side. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got two that have aged the best for me. One is Lawrence Thomas. Yeah. What what a player he's turned out to be. But for me, the the, the thing that has aged the best is Daniel Georgeski. The signing of him mm-hmm. was an incredible piece of business, and we sort of didn't. I don't think we quite grasped how good it was at the time. Like we all knew he was really good. Um, my one of my favourite memories of the whole decade is. <laughs> the first derby that he played in. I remember, I think Barisha scored and he jumped over the back of him and he gives the big two fingers to the, the city fans. He goes, fuck off, <laughs> Yeah, and exactly. It's like, yes, how good is this bloke? But then he's just gone from strength to strength and now he's like one of the best marketing tools for Western Sydney Wanderers. And he's like, to me, he's like, he's the, like the one that got away and I yeah, just like, I love him so much. Um, and I think he's actually like, he's part of that 2014-15 squad and he's just aged so so well so so well what's aged the worst do you think what has aged the worst what has aged the worst oh i'll tell you what's aged the worst mm-hmm. the sound mixing in the 2014 <laughs> grand final <laughs> if you go back and watch that they turn down the sound every time we score because they're worried we're going to clip the mics yeah that's bullshit i saw someone describe it on twitter once as an act of cultural vandalism yeah and that is true it is bullshit that they did that to us because that was the best atmosphere 
That's, mm-hmm. that's the best atmosphere in the history of the A-League. Yeah. Full stop. How dare they do that to us? Yeah, the best the best example of that is the, the Lee Broxham goal. You find that on the uh, on YouTube. You, you see just mm-hmm. as soon as he scores the goal and the crowd go nuts, they they weirdly change the levels and it sounds like it just blows up for a second and then and lowers right down. It's um Yeah, if you want an example of that on YouTube, check that out. Lee Broxham's uh, third goal in the grand final. Uh, for me, it's um, it's James Tracy's hairdos. Um, he uh, <laughs> he, went, he went from full muzzer um, hairdo with the side part shaved in um, to completely bald. So unfortunately, James Tracy and his hairdos um, ended up aging the worst over the decade. I reckon. <laughs> Don't you think? Oh, mate, that's a perfect shout. <laughs> yeah, true. I was like the worst bit was when he was trying to hang on to it and everyone could see it was gone and it's like Jimmy please for everyone's sake your your nonna will be watching this your yeah. nonna, just, just shave it man yeah so he, he does he does eventually but um, yeah he ended up going full board but um, the the styles of uh, of uh, what's it called of uh, James Tracy and his little muzzer hairdos didn't uh, didn't work out for him did you add the best that, like, so you gave me the what stage is the best and what stage is the worst of the last ones, like, an, like half an hour ago? Yeah. Did you add those in just for the James Travisi game? Yeah, I did. I, did. I respect that. One I respect comment. that so much. That's outstanding broadcasting. Yeah, great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what else is age the worst? Uh, maybe Mitch Nichols' is a criminal record as well. Um, if oh, we're... Mate, yeah. Jeez, he was on our books at one point. He was on our books for a, a very brief period of time. We ended up, did we end up getting James Tracy because Mick Nichols left? I'm trying to think. Well, um, could have been around that time. Yeah, I did a um, lot of a lot of research and a lot of reading, but it all becomes a bit of a haze um, when I was doing that. Tell you what else has aged badly is bloody Danny Vukovic's year with us. Yeah, he was elite everywhere he went, mm-hmm. and it's no fault of his own. Obviously, like he had the issue with his his sick child, which was yeah. awful, and it's really good that it's, it's come good, but. Like he was extremely good at every A League club he went to, and now like his club in Europe. But the, yeah, like the one poor year he's had in his whole career was with us. It was, it was tough. It was yeah, tough. that was a good signing at the time, wasn't it? But um, it just didn't yeah. amount to much. He moved to Melbourne, to be closer to his family, and then went to Sydney the next year, and um, yeah, went well there, and then got a, a move to Europe, which was unlikely at the time. It was a little bit of a surprise when he got that move to Europe, but. He's done really good things since then. Now he's part of the Socceroo setup. Um, so, yeah, he's gone to uh, on to bigger things. Who else has gone on to bigger things at the victory? Jimmy Jago, actually, as well. Um, he, wasn't, yeah. he wasn't great for us, but he's actually become like a vital player um, as part of the Socceroo setup and uh, and overseas as well. Like, it's uh, it's weird sometimes that that just happens, I guess. Um, lack of time. Also, also, Rashid Mahazi is now playing Korea. <laughs> That's I still the, can't work that one probably out. The one, the, yeah, that's the one that, that surprised me the most of all of the moves I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say Melbourne victory. Uh, yeah. The final one I've got for you, and uh, this may be uh, closely linked, I suppose, to um, the best signing, but who do you think was the player of the decade? Mate, there's a million blokes could be player of the decade, but there's only one that could really be the player of the decade. It's Lee Broxham. Oh, yeah, good. It's it's Lee Broxham. The man lives, eats, breathes everything about him. He sweats Melbourne victory. He is just the – he's the man that defines Melbourne victory as a club, If like obviously Kevin Musket does, but Lee Broxham's next. He is just the absolute king. Um, he becomes, you know, he's the boot boy, maligned, you know, like copped it from the, the stands. Now we sing about him winning the Ballon d'Or. He is just, to me, I, I love him so much. And he just represents everything that is Melbourne Victory. Everything I hold dear about Melbourne Victory is represented to me by Lee Boxing. Yeah, I think that's the perfect answer. I didn't actually have an answer before you said that, but I agree completely. Um, the longevity, the versatility, um, you know, plays two grand finals in different positions. Um, just unbelievable. I think that um, that's a, a perfect way to end it. Player of the decade, Lee Broxham. He was there for the whole decade and uh, so versatile and so reliable. Um, yeah, amazing. Rudy, thank you very much for your time and joining us on FBS the 2010s. It's uh, been fun to have you on once again. Thank you so much for coming on. It was my absolute pleasure, mate. Always good.
The 2010s had no shortage of champion players at the VUC, whether it had been existing players in the previous decade that had carried over their uh, tenure at the club or new players that had profound seasons in a short space of time. There was a, a lot of conjecture when it came to picking the FVS team of the decade. I put the two boys in charge, the man of the people, as well as the chief analyst, Dave and Buds, uh, to choose the official team of the decade for for Buck's sake. Dave, when it comes to choosing this team, what was the criteria? Do we judge a player based upon their overall output at the Melbourne victory or do we judge a player based upon their pedigree or their best season at the victory? Are we choosing a team that we plan to, to field out in the, the, the pitch or are we just merely going um, for victory accolades? How did you come to choose this team? Yeah, thanks for that, Jace. Look, it it was a, a tough one because I think there were elements of all of those things in our decision making. Uh, success on the park was was one of the the criteria, but I think sheer ability is probably the criteria that kind of uh, won out in most of the assessments. So there, there, lots of things were factored in. So success and, and accolades. But also, yeah, as I said, a real kind of emphasis on the best player for that position based on the formation that we ended up going with. So hope that uh, adequately explains it. Yeah. Um, the Buds, I'll bring you in, the man of the people. What was the formation that you guys went with? Uh, obviously, the 4-3-3 uh, the three, three formation, probably the, the most famous formation for victory over the course of the decade, but there were variations of that. Um, what was the preferred formation for this particular team of the decade? Uh, the final formation ended up being a 4-3-3. I did play with a 4-1-2-1-2-1. I think Dave played with a couple of other formations too because once you settled on one lineup, uh, you were noticing that there were glaring omissions. Well, hang on. It was just too hard. I think we ended up settling on a four-one-three-two. Did we? Yeah, because uh, you replied and you said, "That's the one." <laughs> oh yeah, that's the see, see, Jason. We we I spent a few hours on this this morning. Dave spent a few hours on it this afternoon when he became available, and there were yep. many different situations and machinations because, uh, right. as Melbourne Victory fans, in the last ten years, we've had some damn good players. Uh, we don't at the moment, yep. but we've had some absolute <laughs> rippers. Yeah, yeah, lots of uh, back and forth about this. Uh, we really put uh, our heads together and came up with what we thought was the best. Yes, I'm getting a glimpse into what it was like for you boys um, throughout the course of the afternoon trying to work this out. We have had a uh, absolute swarm of people on social media, predominantly Twitter, um, submit their team of the decades as well. There's been a few decent ones. Um, I'm looking forward. I don't know what you've actually come up with. I'm looking forward to seeing how you're going to um, squeeze about seven players into the front third. Um, but we'll, we'll go to the, uh, the back and we'll start off with the goalkeeping position. Who uh, did you select as the goalkeeper of the decade? Uh, it was a pretty easy one. The, the uh, Look, I'll, I'll say this. The easiest part of this whole thing was the goalkeeper in the back four for mine. Uh, Lawrence Thomas, uh, undisputed number one. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think you can uh, fault that at all. Two championships. He um, he was thrust into the the, the spotlight uh, just before the final series in 2015. Um, had a blinding final series in 2015 um, to capture the the championship. Nathan Coe unlucky not to um, to see out the year. Obviously, injuries curtailed the the remainder of his career. But Lawrence Thomas went on to bigger and better things. And uh, who can forget the performance in the 2018 Grand Final? He was absolutely sublime. The photos of uh, of a bandaged Lawrence Thomas um, will live on in victory folklore forever. Um, yeah, I don't think you can choose anyone else for. Goalkeeper, I'm thinking that's a pretty easy one. Let's go to the back four. Dave, I'll let you start off with the back four. Yeah, thanks, mate. And and I think to, just to underscore Thomas, uh, you know, he's literally been at the club for the entire period. Uh, he joined in 2011. So that gives you an indication. You know, he's done his hard, hard mm-hmm. yards, uh, warming the pine and took his spot. Okay, so the back four, it is a back four because we've never really played with anything other than a back four. Uh, at right back... 
It's Daniel Georgievsky. Uh, perfect uh, decision. He um, he was immense for us. Uh, played what a couple of years, and yeah. uh, absolutely immense for us. And it's a bit odd for everyone to. Everyone's probably thinking, "Hang on, he played at left back for the, almost the entire time he was at our club." But he has always been and naturally is a right back, a right footed. So he was playing like an inverted uh, fullback role for us. Uh, while he was at the club. And who are we going with next in the uh, central uh, defensive role, defensive roles? Uh, first first cab off the rank in the uh, the centre-half pairing. It's uh, none other than the greatest Frenchman that's ever graced the A-League in Matthew Delpierre, uh, the greatest defender that we've ever seen at this club. And boy, I wish he was back. Uh, I think an argument can be made that he's the greatest ever player that's ever played for Melbourne Victory. I think that, um, of course, defenders um, don't get the credit that they uh, deserve sometimes, but I think that he was right up there as possibly one of the best ever Victory players we've ever had. Don't you agree, Dave? Absolutely. Uh, Just a, a towering, immense, confident defender who just was you know obviously a, a mainstay of a, a very successful period but you know just the kind of player that would inspire confidence of those around him as well and that is what you need in a back four and it's exactly what we don't have at the moment so who is partnering up with uh, del pierre okay so partnering uh matthew del pierre is reese williams reese williams uh as far as talented Australian footballers go, he's been one of the the, the better ones in, in that central defensive role and has just been obviously hampered by a lot of bad luck over his career. Uh, you know, the heights that you know he achieved over at Middlesbrough for a period of time, uh, you know, he could have been anything and he missed out on World Cup opportunities due to some uh, pretty bad injuries. And, you know, I think just... Pound for pound, uh, talent-wise, he was the man. Of course, he missed the the grand final uh, two seasons ago, but um, was very much a part of our resurgence late in that season uh, and and I think uh, a fitting partner to Mathieu. He didn't really play a bad game for us and uh, as I am the one that tallies all the votes in the um the player of the year awards uh he and leroy george that season were game for game three or two votes pretty much they they ran away with it and his uh his time with us is kind of um really reflective of the career he's had um he didn't leave i think this could be a bit of a controversial one because of the way Mm, the circumstances in which he left the club but in terms of pure ability and uh let's say, the, the percentage of high performances for the games that he played for the club. Uh, you, I don't think we're going to see someone for quite a while who's going to come in with that impact that he had. He's a, he's a class footballer, and um, yeah, I wish he could have stayed in our shirt a bit longer, but, um, you know, say la vie, but he makes it into the centre-back pairing, and, gee, what a centre-back pairing that is. Uh, Right-back next? Left-back. Left-back, left-back. Um, okay. And this was probably the easiest of the lot. Uh, you know, absolutely no doubt about who would take this position and Adama Traore, uh, hands down. <laughs> I mean, but it's it's it, a lot to do with the fact that we haven't really had many left-backs, pure left-backs uh, at the club since he left. You know, as uh, the aforementioned Georgievsky uh, occupied that role for a period of time. But, you know, it's been Broxham, it's been... Uh, Corey Brown and you know a, a, a litany of other players, Dylan Manane, um over the decade, and so you know he stands head and shoulders above any other candidate in that position. Yeah, he came back to the victory this season with uh, just a huge reputation as being the uh, one of the gods of Melbourne victory. His uh, form hasn't reached spectacular heights so far this year, but there's a lot to do with uh, coming back from a rather damaging injury um, the previous season. So hopefully uh, back to the Adama Chore we know and love uh, moving forward uh, for the rest of the season. We move now into the midfield. Uh, Dave, uh, who was the first okay. selection in the midfield? So we'll just uh, 
give this a bit of an introduction. So as I said, it's a four, one, three, two. So effectively, the midfield is the one and then the three. Uh, so there's one defensive midfielder and then uh, basically a, a flat three, one centrally and then sort of two wide midfielders. Um, and the name in the defensive midfield role is one the one and only Carl Valeri. Again, probably one of the easiest selections given his career, uh, given his you know, the, the success that we had at the club, but also just the influence and as captain of the club as well for a period of time. So, yeah, Carl Valeri. Carl Valeri was such a huge signing, and I think that... Um Probably another person doesn't get the the credit that he he deserves, and um, it, he can only have to you only have to look at the the form lines this year of Melbourne Victory to see how sorely we miss someone like Carl Valeri just commanding the midfield, commanding the team. Uh, Ola Toivonen, um, unfairly in my opinion, has has copped a lot of flack for his leadership skills, um, but Carl Valeri is a is a dinky die kind of old school Australian sports leader, and I think that uh, a lot of our fans are probably used to that and not uh, used to an Ola Toivonen uh, European style of captaincy, but um, a leader of men, uh, a championship winning captain in 2018, part of the 2015 team that Mark Milligan was captain as, uh, of that uh, won the championship as well. He was just a, a huge signing, an amazing um, coup for us to get uh, Carvalieri in that squad and um, get a, a fair chunk of um, a fair, fairly decent chunk of um, years out of him. So a spectacular signing and um, yeah, uh, yep, an, an easy decision in this in this team. Absolutely. And look, I'll just um, I'll hand over to, to uh, the man of the people to go through uh, the next player. But before I do that, this from here on in is where the squeeze began, where it became an absolute palaver to try and figure out how to fit all of the guns that we've had in that sort of midfield and advanced sections of the pitch. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see the feedback we get based on the decisions we made. All right, Buds, take it away. All right, so centrally, uh, there was only one real name that anyone who's got half a brain is going to put into the team sheet, and that is our Costa Rican El Zorro. Uh, Carlos Hernandez, the granddaddy of them all. Ooh, that is interesting because I don't think his output was as profound as it was in the back end of the last decade. Um, so that's an interesting, that's an interesting decision. Mm. Dave, what were your thoughts? Did you fight on that one? Did you agree? No. Um, initially, <laughs> initially, um, I think uh, Buds didn't have him in the team, and I. I think, and if memory serves, we had a little bit of a back and forth about... No, actually, I think we... I think Carlos, we did agree. Yeah, Carlos but, was agreed. Carlos was, yep, Carlos yep. was non-negotiable. It was, where we, it was wide where we, we had um, disagreements. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think um, you can leave Hernandez out. I... I think, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting one. Uh, he played five seasons in total for the victory. Three of those in the in the um, the noughties, if you want to call it that. Two seasons in the twenty tens. Um, his two seasons in the twenty tens were game uh, seasons of thirty games and five goals, and a game a season of twenty one games and ten goals. Um, it's an interesting decision. I think that you guys are going to cop some shit for that one, but um, if you can stand by it, that's oh, fine. That's not possible. That's not I, possible I, because everybody loves Carlos. We, we would have copped way more shit if we left him out. There's no chance. Exactly. I don't think his input was as, as, as much as it was the, the previous three seasons that he played in the in the noughties. But um, it's all right. You, you guys you guys pick the team. You guys are the, the probably the, the better analysts of... Uh, what do you want, Jace? You scored 10 goals from midfield. Did you, yeah. did you even go to what games in the noughties, Jace? I went to games in yeah. the noughties. I was there. I was... Um, <laughs> I was uh, more in interested in what was going on after the games, but I was there. Um, but yeah, do you remember any of them? The <laughs> the <laughs> I do. The previous season he scored in 2009-10, so I guess you can get away with um, half the season being in the 2010s. He he scored 13 goals and nine assists, so he did have a pretty good year in 2009-10. Um, so I'll let you off based yeah. upon that. Oh, thanks, all buddy. Thanks, yeah. buddy. All, right, all, right. all right. Next one. Look, um. 
there's there's I'll jump into the next one. Um, but again, I think let's just uh, flag something here. Let's talk about the people that were unlucky to miss out in these various positions at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to um, go on to the left side of that midfield, and it's Marco Rojas. Yep, the uh, the little Kiwi Messi. Um, two stints in the Melbourne victory during that period. Um, during, I think uh, he was signed by was he signed by Ange did he come in the the Ange era or the back end of the the Mimic era around about that time um had a, a blinding season uh, a, a down first season rather than a blinding second season um in which he tore the league apart um and then coming back for his second stint was pretty pretty good as well uh but never won a championship with a victory um unfortunately just the the one yeah, that kind of got away he won a Johnny Warren medal, though, and yeah. he was also uh, the winner of the Australia, uh, sorry, the A League Young Footballer of the Year. Um, you know, and then off he, off he went to Europe. Uh, but um, yeah, and look, you can't you can't forget some of the impact that he's had. You know, the first goal on his return was you know, uh, against Melbourne City, and you know he. Scored a match winner against Adelaide in stoppage time. Uh, I think with Marco, he just he really just built up a real love affair uh, with fans in a few very lean years, and I think mm -hmm. that sort of sticks in the memories of a lot of uh, Vux out there. Yeah, so uh, he did come. Uh, I think it was the 2011 slash 12 season. That was, um, I think, if I, from memory serves, um, the year that we finished eighth. So that was the first Mehmet year. Um, he played in 23 games, scored zero goals in the second year. Um, underneath uh, some new management, uh, Ange Postecoglou absolutely thrived. 25 games and 15 goals. I think. Um, there was for a sort for a small period of time there was a very quintessential typical Melbourne goal and it was often um, Archie Thompson laying off the ball squaring it up for uh, Marco Rojas who would have a tap in um, once they got behind the defenders and um, that was you know with, whether it was Archie Thompson teeing up Marco Rojas or or vice versa it became a very uh, typical Melbourne victory goal and typical of the Ange Postecoglou era uh, he did come back the year after we uh, dominated the twenty. 14-15 season, played in 23 games and scored 13 goals in the A-League. So his output was great before going to the Netherlands. Um, so unfortunately, he was in kind of sandwiched in the middle there between one championship and the other um, in that second stint. Uh, who else do we have in the midfield? Uh, we've got a... So we played Marco on one flank and uh we played another kiwi on the other this was uh this was a hotly debated position this one but uh goes to costa barbarousas and i'll, I'll defy anyone uh, yes who doesn't think costa barbarousas should be in the team of the decade obviously he's uh he's left in some uh look his legacy's a bit tarnished because of the way he left and that press conference he's had and who he left for and what he said but his output for melbourne victory was phenomenal uh, he's up there in the top few goal scorers this club's ever seen. Um, Sixty odd goals for the club, two championships. Um, you know, lit lit the joint up when he was on. Uh, was a joy to watch for us, and uh, I had to have him in there. Yeah, I mean, he played in two championships and scored in both grand finals. That's a big game player. Not to mention the screamer he scored in the semi final against Melbourne City as well. Uh, an absolute big game player, scored in those big matches and uh, I think he summed it up well. He, he tarnished his legacy towards the end, unfortunately. Um, there was a bit of posturing as well towards the end of his final season with a victory, which was his best statistically, um, 23 games and 13 goals um, with, with Melbourne victory. Um, in retrospect, given where we are right now, Dave, in, uh, in the whole scheme of things, um, should we have paid him to, to stay? Uh, it depends. It depends how much. Uh, but I guess in in the grand scheme of things, when you consider uh, what's come since then, absolutely. Yeah. yeah uh, the failure of the signings that have come. Look, I I think uh, what Sydney are paying him was uh, way more than we were paying him, or what we would have ever offered him. And I don't think Sydney are uh, are uh, upset with what they're getting for their buck at the moment. So yeah, we definitely should have paid him. 
but um, you know, these things happen. We got some good years out of him, so it's true. Two championships, you can't really argue too much with that. Um, and we've certainly had our fun with Costa so far this season as well. Um, Dave, moving on, who have we got up next? Okay, so up top. So ironically, uh, we, we have gone with two strikers, which uh, we haven't actually seen much of in uh, the decade just past. Uh, you know, back in those early Ernie Merrick days, it was you know a regular thing to see. You know, the likes of Allsop and Thompson. Uh, combining up top uh, but we've gone with uh, f- first of all there was a controversial one because there was initially a bit of a disagreement but I think we came we ended up being on the same page and that's uh, Bessar Barisha uh, so he is the first striker that we've named uh, I think when you consider what's happened during his time at the club uh, not only the ridiculous amount of goals he scored uh, for Melbourne victory, but of course, two titles uh, in that time frame. You, you simply cannot exclude the man, uh, and that's why he is the first of the two strikers. He became almost maligned towards the end of his stint with Melbourne victory, and in retrospect, it was probably a little bit harsh. We, we thought that perhaps he was ageing and missing some of the opportunities that he ordinarily would have scored in his um, earlier days with with victory and also Brisbane Raw. Um, but he has come back with, with somewhat of a vengeance um, at West United. He's had a, a few lean weeks before scoring against Melbourne Victory, uh, two goals in the Western derby that just uh, that just happened. Um, but maybe, yeah, Bessar Barisha is always trying to prove people wrong and he, he certainly has uh, been doing that um, this season um, towards, yeah, obviously, just... the, the end of his stint. He was just maligned with, with Victory fans who probably um, set the bar quite high um, and the expectations quite high. Yeah, yeah I, exactly, I, mate. I was pushing for him to be in this starting lineup, and I was one of his biggest critics towards the end. Um, you can't doubt he's a club legend. He's uh, phenomenal, has to be in the team. But with the with the talk now of sh- should we have done more to get him, I actually think that if he was playing in this crap team, uh, I don't think he'd be doing as well as he is with the service he's getting from uh, Diamante and uh, Risden and those guys. Mm, I think we, mm. Yeah, I think we would be losing our minds, I think, uh, <laughs> if, if we got best. What, more than we already are? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think if we, got, if we uh, stumped up cash for Bess and we put him in this team, because obviously he's, uh, he's still good enough at A-League level to put them in from a few yards out. Um, he, I don't think he'd be thriving under these conditions that we've got at, uh, at the club at the moment. But yeah, best, best club legend. Yeah, very true. Last striker, well, the, the other striker is uh, Ola Toivonen. Now, I don't think this is a controversial one because I've it is firmly not. been of the view that he is simply the greatest striker that has put on a shirt for us. And obviously hasn't racked up the goal count of an Archie Thompson or even a Danny Allsop uh, or Bessar Barisha. But just watching him play, uh, to me, it was an absolute no-brainer to include him in this team of the decade. Buds, your your reasoning, did you fight this one? Was, was this one that you agreed on with Dave when picking the team? Um, I actually put the goalkeeper in, the defence in, so the flat four in first, put Ola straight up top and then mm-hmm. work the rest out. So absolute yeah. no-brainer from me. Guy is the smartest most fin- uh, play- he's the smartest footballer with the most finesse that I've seen. He's he's a- and he's got a good level of shithousery and mongrel in him too. I wish I wish we could have him for a few more years, but enjoy him while he's here. So What's what's the debate when when people are listening to this and they uh, they think uh, that we're wrong on all the Toivonen? Who are they going to come back with? Archie Thompson is that is that the obvious answer? Uh, yeah, look, the the Tom, Thompson was in an early draft that we were going back and forth with, uh, but I think the decision made to not include him was based on the fact that. The better years, it's kind of like the argument that you made with Carlos. His output in that first decade of Melbourne victory was much more significant than the next. 
And this is where that whole position squeeze sort of came into being, uh, where we had to make some tough calls on certain players. And I've, I've got a, I'm sure there are people listening right now who are fuming about certain players that I'm going to jump into and, and, and talk about why they were left out. Um, but yeah, look, Archie, undisputed Melbourne victory legend, but I think by the time, you know, that the the decade that we're talking about sort of rolled around, he was sort of on the downward slope yeah. as opposed to the upward. It was it was probably um, unfortunately the the ACL injury in the 2010 Grand Final yep. that really yep. um, signified the the decline. Um, certainly in output, he played he played a number of years after after that, but he came back um, towards the back end of the 2010-11 season, nine games, four goals, and then that followed up with 27 games, seven goals, 22 games, nine goals, 24 games, nine goals, um, 26 games and 11 goals in the championship season, and then uh, in the final season, 14 games and one goal. So for a prolific striker, um, his goal per game rate isn't up there, even with Bessart, Brusa or Ola Toivonen. Um, so I think based upon those, um, you have to judge Ola Toivonen on the body of work that he's put in um, a short period of time at Melbourne Victory, I think that he is um, undoubtedly the, the obvious choice for um, that starting berth in the front line, leading the attack with Bessart Bruscia. So so we have a bench as well, Jase. Yep, okay, go through. Um, and this bench was of seven players, which is what the, the current A-League benches, bench sizes are. Uh, I'll start reading them out and we can talk about individuals or as a group, but uh, the backup goalkeeper is Ante Jovic. Uh, the reason behind that, uh, you know, victory medal winner. Uh, initially, I had Co and um, Buds rightly pulled me up on that around uh, Jovic. And so I think, uh, you know, when you consider <laughs> where we might have finished that year where he won the victory medal, um, yeah, he definitely is the one. The other players on the bench, Milligan, Thompson, Broxham, and Tonus, Finkler, and Honda. Ooh, Honda's an interesting one. Yeah, you can probably judge him on what the first the first nine weeks of, it, of his of his season. Um, I'm thinking who else was unlucky to get in there. And Tonus, I'm not too sure who else you would have um, you would have taken out for Antonis. Oh, I've got a couple. I've got a. I mean, couple that uh, didn't. There's a, there's one particular player that didn't make the bench. And was a, in my opinion, a very strong shout for even a starting lineup, uh, and that's Jason Guerrier. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I felt bad about excluding him, and the fact that he didn't even make the bench, I also feel bad about because really we we put Georgievsky at right back, uh, and we love Georgievsky, but um, Guerrier had some very solid seasons and was a long-term contributor for the club at right back. So that's one I'm a bit. <sighs> Regretful about, but you know you can only fit in eleven in the starting lineup, and then the bench uh, there's seven spots, so that's the way it crumbles sometimes. Boys, if I was to ask you who the coach of the decade would be, is it an obvious one that's Kevin Musket, or would you um, would you select Ange Postecoglou? Oh, look for me, it's Musket. Um, Ange didn't win anything with us. Mm-hmm. Um, Ange is a better coach than Musket, but he wasn't for Melbourne Victory. Maybe people will say that Ange laid the platform for Kev and Kev just pretty much Xeroxed his whole style, which probably isn't untrue. But, um, you know, Kev Kev won everything for us. And uh, I, I dare say there'd be probably people that think Kev should probably be in the back four. That's right. Um, <laughs> so there, there'll be a couple of, um, you know, questions there. But um, look, uh there was other really good contributors that should have been on the bench as well. I think you know people say Roddy Vargas was a good one. Um, who else did we? we Robbie we had Cruz. A of, yeah, Robbie Cruz. We had a couple of um, people say Mitchell Langerak probably should have been the backup goalkeeper. Uh, there was a there was a list. I think we 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 whittled it down to about thirty six players as a um, you know to choose mm. from in the decade. So there was some there was some really good names. Like we, we've had a great decade. Jace, um, I want to um, enlighten you as to a, probably the most contentious part of uh, the decision-making process that Buds and I went through, and it was probably circle, circling around Terry Antonis. I had him in some teams. I, I opted against it, um, and I guess the way I looked at it was like simply down to he, he basically played one and a half seasons for us, if you sort of do the maths on that. Uh, and look, yes, he had that great semi-final and earned 
legend status because of it. But stepping back now uh, and assessing talent overall, I, I sort of had to exclude him because you know, that season before last where we won mm. the league, we weren't actually a very good team. Yeah, We had a late run and we snatched it. For me, the era of 2014 and 15 is where ability on paper and results on the park coalesced beautifully. And for that reason alone, um, I also think it's probably harsh we didn't have Mark Milligan in the starting lineup because not only was he absolutely pivotal and, you know, he played that, you know, Antonis role before Antonis, um, you know, and he was captain and obviously part of some great success. So they were the, probably the hardest decisions around him, around Antonis. Guy Finkler was the other tough one, I reckon, mm-hmm. uh, and Robbie Cruz because as you know, so much talent in that midfield and, and up front and wide – Someone had to miss out. Yeah, and, and, icon- and iconic moments for the decade too. I mean, uh, Milligan had the iconic moments. Uh, Guy Finkler had many of them. Robbie Cruz had huge goals. That one in the uh, semi-final against Sydney. Um, just, just huge, huge, huge moments that the fan base never forgets. So it was a really fun exercise to do this. And it's always something that's going to be uh, the point of discussion. Um, you guys put yourself up on the line and uh, I'm sure that uh, it'll open it up for some uh, for some criticism, for some agreement. Uh, but it's always a tough thing to do. We've done this before. We've um, we've done, I think, uh, a side that was the best ever 11 going back a few years ago and the worst ever 11, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but always a, a tough, tough task to um, choose your decade team. Yeah, and, and just to underscore that, so let's say we went with Finkler instead of Hernandez because you can only have one in yeah. that sort of central attacking role, right? That's that's a really tough choice when you consider what both players did for the club. Um, and so that's the kind of trade-off you have to make. And then we kind yeah. of uh, – we had to make some tough choices based on formation too. So we didn't want to exclude Bess and we didn't want to exclude Ola. So that meant having two up top. So that means you've got to sacrifice somewhere else. Uh, and, and so that's kind of where we landed. So that's the FES team of the decade. Uh, boys, thank you so much for coming on. I know uh, this is a bit of extra um, podcasting, but you're in the, the car at the moment outside the, the childcare center waiting to pick up your daughter. So um, much appreciated <laughs> for, your, for your time. Um, and also Dave in the bunker in the uh, in the office as well. Thank you, boys, very much. Um, if you agree with the lads, um, give them a shout out on the FVS Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram pages. Let them know if they got it wrong or got it right. Um, it'll be something that's opened up for a lot of discussion. And uh, we'll be back again uh, in ten years' time. Seems like we've come full circle as we end the 2010s, ending it the way we started. A transition period with a coach not bettered in the victory style. And you'd think we'd learn, you'd think we'd look back on those days of Mehmet and Majilton and say to ourselves, this is just temporary. So far this season, the VUC have been utter garbage, statistically the worst victory team in its history. Rusted on fans that have stuck by the club are starting to turn, fingers being pointed at everyone from the board to the players to the coaching staff. The family culture at the club seems to have evaporated. The club needs to get its vibe back. Amy Park needs more than 12,000 people inside of it on a Saturday afternoon. So many of my best memories of this decade have been on those terraces watching footballers bathed in the hot Melbourne sunshine kick around a ball. I've seen Marco Rojas smash one past the keeper from 30 yards, 
I've seen Archie Thompson giving it large to Melbourne Heart fans after securing the three points at Christmas, and I've seen Bessart Barisha sprinting to the touchline with his arms fully extended after scoring a huge goal while the fans scream and sing Seven Nation Army. This season, as we almost call time on a decade of ups and downs, appears to have lost that feeling. The feeling where you go with your mates, sink some piss and watch a bloody good football team win. The one realisation I've come to while putting together this decade retrospective is that moments are fleeting. The dark times seem to last forever, the good ones over in a flash. Right now it feels like we're heading towards a crisis point. And how do the club collectively come together to get themselves out of this? Are Kurds' days numbered? I'm not sure, but what I do know is that this won't last forever. Soon enough there'll be another error, another marquee player, or another moment, or another championship for us to look back on, and we'll sit in the pubs and we'll joke to each other, remember how shit we were back then. For fuck's sake is a weekly podcast, and we'll keep reacting week by week as we watch the ups and downs of this team. We'll keep flying off the handle and calling for heads or saying someone isn't good enough, we'll keep lashing out during the bad times, but we'll always keep watching. And that's what's so good about being a sports fan. You have to endure pain, and you have to be patient, but you can be upset about it. You can make your feelings be known, as long as you keep watching. And we'll always keep watching, because we do it for one reason. We do it for one purpose. We do it, for fuck's sake. Before we wrap up, some thank yous are in order as we come to the end of this decade retrospective. Um, firstly, I want to thank my wife. Um, it's been a huge, huge week trying to put all this together. Um, doing it while working a 40-hour week and also having a nine-month-old baby has been a lot of late nights and a lot of days uh, stuck in a library in a room writing and editing and podcasting. So thank you so much to my wife who's been understanding over the last week um, while we put this together. Thank you as well to our guests, Nick Slade, Matt Winley, Paul Williams, uh, Rudy Edsel, and also my two co-hosts, the Man of the People Buds, and also Dave, who continually indulge me every time I have an idea to push the envelope for fuck's sake. So thank you to those guys for coming on and giving their time. It's always difficult to try and schedule us all in, all three of us at the same time. So thank you to those guys for making the extra time. Thank you as well to our Patreon supporters. Uh, we've said this many times on the podcast over the last couple of months that for fuck's sake was almost dead and buried. But with the help and support of the Patreon supporters this year, it's really helped us push us to the next level and, and help motivate us and keep us driven. Uh, seeing a new person subscribe on Patreon gives us a boost because it lets us know that people are listening and people are invested in the podcast. We've got now over 100 Patreon supporters and it really just gives us a huge boost in confidence and, and lets us know that um, that what we're doing is being well received. So if you do want to jump on and you haven't already as a Patreon subscriber, please go on to for fuck's sake or actually, sorry, patreon.com slash for fuck's sake and um, contribute, whether it's $1 a podcast for the rest of the season or a bit more. Um, we just really appreciate your support. And finally, just thank you to everyone, whether you're a Patreon supporter or not. If you listen to the podcast over uh, this week or previous weeks, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your engagement on social media. That's another thing that gives us a boost is just knowing that everything that we do, every time we try something different uh, and something new, that it's just so well received from our supporters and our fans we and, um, and our listeners because uh, we've never really received any type of bad feedback. It's always been positive uh, reinforcement for us. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you once again to everyone. And uh, until next time, it is goodbye and mon the buck.